0: This is a podcast from the Poetry Society. In my view, poetry goes right back to the campfire and to the temple and to the theatre. And I think it's got huge potential which, which can take it you know, beyond those, those borders of the, of the slim volume.
1: I'm Maurice Reardon, editor of the Poetry Review, and I'm talking this afternoon uh, to Simon Armitage. Simon, thank you for coming in. You wrote a, a very nice piece, prose piece, for, for the review, the current issue of the review. Uh, I just begin with that. In it, you say, you describe this room from your childhood, and you say how tens of dozens of my poems look out through that window. From the very first snow joke to the last poem I published. And that just seemed to me a kind of a very striking instance of a poet having some sort of inner space, some sort of imaginative bolt hole. But before we, we maybe talk a bit about that, I just would like to kind of fill in the picture a bit more. So in this house, there were your parents, obviously, and was it one sibling?
0: Yeah, myself and my sister, a small ent terrace house, in the village of Marsden in, in West Yorkshire. And I uh, just had two bedrooms and there came a, a time when my sister, you know, ordered me out. She was older than me. And uh, so I, I got my marching orders and, and set off across the across the landing. And my my dad had made for me a, a bedroom of my own, but it, it was an annexed piece of, of their bedroom. And so even though it was the, you know, the smallest room in the house, it had this very privileged view out onto the village. So I, I think before that, you know, my, my outlook and my attitudes had, had always been my sister's really, you know, she she said how things went and uh, suddenly I had this space and this perspective and a you know, a sort of dream life that I could indulge in. And I just remember, you know, long periods of time during the day spent staring out of that window. And I think more importantly, long periods of night as well, and being absolutely fascinated with the village uh, during its sort of nocturnal workings. It struck me as clockwork that particular village is in a you know a natural geographical bowl so everybody's looking in on it and each other and i used to keep a little logbook of comings and goings and characters and i suppose imagine stories as well and actually it was only relatively recently when i started looking back through the work that i realized how many poems indirectly and directly as well had that view started from that that position uh, made comment on the village.
1: And, and it's quite a dramatic picture you, you present of it really because it's surrounded by moorland and that kind of struck me really because well it's kind of Ted Hughes country anyway isn't it and Hughes I suppose occupies the more elemental part of that picture whereas your poem's Well, they're quite outdoorsy, actually, I find. But they are populated, and there's a lot of social activity in them. And it it struck me that from the very start, there was something very kind of distinctive about your poetry that has occupied a sort of in-between area between the the built-up and the countryside or the open air. So that, well, well, Larkin's poetry, you know, I mean, there's always a kind of democratic or there's often a democratic vista there but it's kind of out of reach you know he's looking out the the train or he's watching the people show Saturday <laughs> and he describes in show Saturday the curt haired cartooning sons yeah? which is a bit un- unsympathetic isn't it whereas a character like that might be the speaker of one of your
0: poems
1: you know very simply topping up the brake fluid might well be spoken by a car-tuning son.
0: <laughs> yeah, the poems are very populated. I think characters are a good use of a word there because I've always thought of the poems as little presentations, little shows, you know, the curtains open, something takes place, an act, and and then the, the curtains close. I think you described the, the, the village well. I mean, it, it was on that borderline between the urban and the rural. So you know looking out one way, you were looking down the string of villages that ran towards Huddersfield, so Marsden and then Slathwaite and then Linthwaite and then Millsbridge and then you were into Huddersfield and then and then you were into Leeds. so that was a picture of increasing, an, an urban landscape, an industrial landscape or perhaps you should say a, a post-industrial landscape because all, all the mills were um, on their last legs really when I was growing up. But the other way, there was a, a, a collar of, of moorland around the top of the village. Marsden is the last village in that line. It runs up against the hillside. So if you chose to walk in the other direction, uh, you would be out in, in a kind of nothingness and uh, I've, I've never really thought of myself as a nature writer in the way that Hughes is. I've only ever been interested in nature when it bumps up against us. And that's what's happening along that margin, you know, across that border in a, in a lot of those poems. And my parents' house, in some respects, was, was the last house in the village. It's like a little sentry box on a road. And the currents between that moorland landscape and, and a more urban one ran, ran back and forth all the time and with, with, with language carried on it I, I've always felt that those in between places those those interzone places have, have being good places for for writing you know because because friction happens there
1: mm. I, I do actually think that is very distinctive in your poems uh, right through. The other thing, of course, about what you've been saying there is it implies a sense of theatre. And of course, your involvement with theatres is is quite serious, particularly at the moment. The Last Days of Troy is on in Shakespeare's Globe with Lily Cole as uh, Helen. Mm. Do you go to see it often?
0: I'm there every day, Maurice. <laughs> Can't keep me away. Yeah, ah. it was on at uh, it was on at the Royal Exchange in Manchester for five weeks. They they commissioned mm, that's the piece. How it came about? Yeah, yeah. Mm. and then it was just a series of fortunate interactions, really, that that led it to the globe. It's been really exciting. It's a it's a big beast of a of a piece. Well, you can imagine it's it's the Iliad plus a, a bit of Virgil thrown in as well. But it's it's been really magical at the Globe. I suppose that the the model is is Shakespearean, you know, it's it's a patchwork of of ensemble scenes and monologues and there's a strong narrative through it. So even though they they only had a day and a half to to reblock it when it came down the M6, it seems to fit really naturally there. And, yeah, on, on the occasions when I've been there and watching it, this amazing weather that we've been having on those sort of balmy London nights at the side of the Thames. It struck me the other day that it must have happened at some point that uh, during possibly a performance of The Winter's Tale that it's it's actually snowed, and snow would have drifted down, you know, onto the onto the stage and onto the groundlings. You know, probably not appropriate for Troy, <laughs> <laughs> It's really whetted my appetite for for more drama. Yeah. It's something that I did a little bit of about ten years ago, twelve years ago. But I've really got the the bug again now for dialogue and action and and for collaboration as well. So I I I see more of that. Just talking
1: about the theatrical interest. I mean, you have several other strings of bow really I mean you, you have written fiction and you do an awful lot of radio and you do a lot of walking in terms of both the radio and the walking there's I think an element of taking poetry out there into in, into the world isn't there
0: a lot of these projects have poetry at their heart or at their base I mean the the long walks that I've done I've been giving readings along the way and, and writing about the poetry reading as an activity and where poetry stands in people's hearts and minds. A lot of the radio programmes and the the TV documentaries have been investigations into elements of of poetry. And and most of the theatre that I've done has been either based on some ancient poem or has poetry within it. The fiction is the one thing that stands out, and and I'm done with that now. Mm. I think I published my last novel maybe 12, 13 years ago, and quite happy not to to write another one I it's, it, it's the poetry that I want to be involved in mm. and you know I, th- I think it's a it's a rare thing you know I'd like to see out my time doing more of it but you do seem to have an
1: unusual sense of poetry as as a, a popular medium as something that you know that's almost a folk medium
0: on occasions I, I feel that, and on some occasions I've I've said as much. I mean, I, I, I've stated somewhere that literature is only a relatively recent form of poetry, and that's true of books as well. I think we've come to think of it as the, as the be-all and end-all. In my view, poetry goes right back to the campfire and to the temple and to the theatre, and i think it's got huge potential which which can take it you know beyond those borders of the of the slim volume i'm not saying that i'm not at home in a book i am and that's where i first encountered poetry and i think that's probably you know the the first port of call but i i've always agreed with, I mean, something that Les Murray said, he talked about it as a go-anywhere art form, a go-anywhere art form. He might just have been talking about its, um, its portable nature, but I, I, I've extended that idea into the, to the notion that, you know, it can speak and it can speak in other places, and I've always thought of it as an act of communication which does take me out and about. I like the idea that every now and again you have to stand up in front of people and, and give a live account of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you yourself, in a previous issue of Poetry Review, were, were talking about the, the pleasure of sharing poetry and, and getting it out there. And yeah, it's an important element for me, even though I, I don't think of myself as a campaigner on its yeah. behalf. It's just, it's just yeah. what comes naturally. I, I think it's, it's just a function of my my background and, and upbringing.
1: You've got the voice to present it to, which I think that, that makes a difference.
0: But in a way, you've,
1: you've kind of touched on, well, something I, I, that was in my mind, because you, you do have a lot of kind of activities, but I think you do locate the, the poetry very much at the centre. And I notice your next publication is uh, selected poems, I guess, is it, rather than a collected? Is that a kind of a refocusing of how you see the work at a certain point?
0: Yeah, I, I published a uh, selected poems 12 years ago, and I thought it was time to, to re-look at that, partly because I've I published six further collections since then. Also, statistically, uh, there was a, a sort of convenient date. 2014 will be 25 years since I published Zoom. So I thought, well, you know, a quarter of a century. Let's put a, a ribbon round that. Yeah, it was a good opportunity to go back and reconsider work. I mean, it's a strange business deciding what will stay and what will go, or or, or you feel as if you're making that that decision. I suppose ultimately those decisions are are made for you. But it also gave me the chance to include monologues from plays and uh, various um, other bits um, and pieces, um, which I think work as standalone poems and which I often read. So I think maybe there is an element of the statement in this book of the places where I've taken I've taken the poetry, and there there are some new pieces at the end taken from a forthcoming book. You mentioned the
1: twenty-five years, twenty-five years ago. You were you were the kid on the block, the new kid on the block. You know the kind of leading edge of a kind of a new energy and, in British poetry. Do you have a sense of people coming up now who are kind of hot on our heels of a new generation?
0: Something new happening in, in poetry. Um, well, I, you know, I, I bloody well hope so. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you'd like to think that was happening all the time, or or that it was happening that and you couldn't quite hear it. You know, it was like a dog whistle, slightly beyond your your range of hearing. I get the feeling that that poetry is is very energized at the moment and that people are very happy to move between a literary version of poetry and a spoken word version of poetry. I see this a lot Mm. at at festivals, you know, that there's no dominant form or school. It seems very eclectic to me. It feels to be, you know, well, I was going to say vibrant and healthy. I think what I mean is that there's been no decay of interest. I think Poetry's always held a pretty steady place in society. It seems to me to be as as, as relevant uh, and as needed and as practised as much as it ever was, which is to say, not a huge amount, but, you know, it is unkillably there.
1: That's a great way of looking at it, isn't it? Yeah and you're obviously thriving with your own poems too at the moment. We have a couple of them in the new issue of the magazine, and I'm going to ask you to introduce and read one of those in a moment. But I was struck that they're about your mother, and they're they're intimate and personal. Is that a kind of a new... Well, I know you've written kind of mother poems before, but was that a new kind of tune or note, did you think?
0: The poems that... I've been writing over the last four or five years really since since I finished writing the poems that went into Seeing Stars have all been relatively personal domestic yeah, you know, about background about upbringing that bedroom that window again as a, as a template they're much more shaped and crafted and architecturally designed than the Seeing Stars poems I've written one or two poems about my mum in the past, but I've written a lot of poems about my dad. And those poems are quite elegiac. And I, I don't know why. My you know, my dad's very much alive and kicking, but they keep they keep coming nonetheless and they keep coming in that in that form. So maybe these poems about my mum were a way of redressing the balance or addressing the imbalance, perhaps. She'd been on my mind a lot for, for reasons which come out, I think, in, in these poems. And yeah, they go, they go right back to the beginning and, and back to that place.
1: Mm. Well, you'll read one first, Simon. And I'll also ask you to read Paper Airplane, which is, I believe, the title poem of
0: the forthcoming selected poems. So I'll read this poem called Camera Obscura, which tells the story of, of me waiting for my mum to come home. She was a teaching assistant at the local infant school while I was at the local junior school. So I'd quite often get back before her, but I wasn't responsible enough to, to be given a to be given a key. Camera obscure. Eight year old sitting in Bramall's field, shoes scuffed from kicking a stone. Too young for a key, but old enough now To walk the short mile back from school You've spied your mother down in the village Crossing the street Purse in her fist In her other hand, her shopping bag nurses Four ugly potatoes caked in mud A boiling of peas Rags of meat or a tail of fish In greaseproof paper the price tottered up in penciled columns of shillings and pence. How warm must she be in that winter coat? On Old Mount Road, the nearer she gets, the smaller she shrinks, until you reach out to carry her home on the flat of your hand or your fingertip, and she doesn't exist. Perfect.
1: Um, will you read the paper Airplane for us?
0: I will. It's ironic, I suppose, that a poem which tries to say something about you know, the, the insubstantial nature of of paper and maybe poetry as well and those flights that it can make uh, is actually here on my phone. <laughs> um, yes,
1: I spotted the phone coming <laughs> out all right.
0: So because it's on my phone, I also... <laughs> implies that it's going to take me a while to sort it out. Here it is, paper aeroplane. So this is the, the last poem in the book. The man sitting next to me on the flight was reading a blank book. Keen eyes panning left to right across empty leaves, fingers turning from one white space to the next. Sometimes he'd nod agreeably or shake his head or painstakingly underline some invisible text with red ink or decorate the margin with an exclamation mark or asterisk. It was a hefty-looking tome, hand-stitched but wordless front and back and down the spine. Coming into land, he laid the silver ribbon marker between two bare pages to save his place. I was wearing noise-canceling headphones, listening to fine mist, when he leaned across and shouted, forgive the intrusion, but would you sign this for me? I think it's your best.
1: Thank you, Simon. Lovely poem. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Poetry Society podcast. To find out more about the Poetry Society and how you can become involved, visit www.poetrysociety.org.uk.